Food Heals Podcast, Episode 196. That process of healing and changing your life through living. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Like time really heals all and the objects or the cracks that lay along your heart or your mind or your body, those are scars that show the beauty of who you are as a person who has lived. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals Podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals Nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben and Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately. All right, welcome, Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining us. I'm Allison Melody. And I'm Susie Hardy. Today, we're chatting with the golden girl of the wellness world. She's out with a brand new book. She's a classically trained chef. She's a former line cook. She's a former TV host and model turned wellness journalist. She is a five-time best-selling author of so many books, Susie. I mean, I can't even go through all of these. Clean Green Eats, Clean Green Drinks, Pretty Delicious, Cook Yourself Sexy, Cook Yourself Thin. It's Candice Kumai. That's right. She's also a Top Chef alumni, which I've always loved that show. Candice has appeared as a regular judge on Iron Chef America and even beat Bobby Flay, which is pretty damn impressive because Bobby Flay is amazing. I've been to his restaurants. Yeah, you have to be pretty good to beat Bobby. So congrats, Candice. You're pretty awesome. (laughs) We have some announcements, don't we? Yes, let's do some quick announcements and some Q&A before we get started. Thank you. A shout out to Veg News for featuring us in their latest episode. I mean, we're honored. We're so honored and so excited. It was amazing. I mean, thank you to Colleen. Shout out. She's the incredible editor. And just like they call us Sex in the City for food, I call them the Cosmo for veganism. Their magazine is so good. It's got so much great info. It's fun. It's got recipes. It's got wonderful articles. You'll always be up and in the know if you're reading Veg News. That's right. So you can subscribe to Veg News at vegnews.com slash subscribe. Go get a copy. Go check it out and see our lovely review. We're so proud to be in there. Yeah. And I just want to say they're not sponsoring this. Like we just want to give them a mad shout out because we're proud and excited. So yeah, but you should subscribe. All right. What else? Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Who's coming to Italy? Food Heals Nation. Um, I mean, what can I say about it? We're leading a retreat. It's going to be wellness, classes, shopping, boat rides, eating, wine tasting, olive oil tasting. What am I missing? I mean, it's going to be the best. Sunbathing, flirting with Italian men or women, whatever floats your boat. (laughs) (laughs) With a glass of vino in hand. (laughs) Yes, exactly. If you can't find me, I'll be at the infinity pool. Which is or the grotto, the grotto, or the organic garden, picking or the peaches, or the beach, or on a boat. I mean, what? (laughs) Why aren't you signing up right now? www.foodhillsnation.com/slash/italy for more info, or to sign up right away because we only have a couple spots left. We want to fill them with amazing people. That means you. Yes, you can email me if you have any questions. Email info at foodhillsnation.com. Okay. We want to do a quick Q&A. This comes from our Facebook group. And I love our Q&As. I know because, well, we get all these questions in the Facebook group and I'm like, everyone wants to hear this. So if yeah. you have questions or you want to read other people's questions, go to foodhealsgroup.com, join our group, and you can weigh in, put in your two cents, tell people what you think. It's a really great community. So this one comes from Christy. And Christy's actually been on the podcast. She's amazing. But Susie, will you do the honors? I will. Christy writes, hi, ladies. Can anyone recommend a healthy shampoo and conditioner? It's so easy to find high quality health food, but not hair products. What do you recommend? I'm looking for no parabens, no artificial fragrances, no propylene glycol, no sulfates, no silicone, no lathering agents, and no wheat. I am gluten intolerant but something which is deeply nourishing. A cleanser is best. If it comes as a shampoo conditioner duo, even better. What do the healthy girls use? Thank you. Smiley face, hearts, hearts, hearts. (laughs) Lots of emojis. 
<laughs> love the emojis. So um, I have an answer. There's also been a lot of people posting in the group what their answers were, but my favorite shampoo and conditioner at this moment is EO. It's like essential oil shampoo and conditioner. We'll put a link to the show notes in it. They're not a sponsor, but I use them every day. They make my hair so soft. It's got aloe, chamomile, calendula. I can't say that word. Susie, help me out. Calendula. You just did it. Calendula. Um, white tea. It's cruelty-free. It's synthetic fragrance-free. It's gluten-free. And it's like it smells delicious. It's not overpowering like some of the shampoos and conditioners can be because they're fragrance with all these fake smells. And so I love it. I was literally at Expo West um, a few weeks ago. And my friend Whitney and I are walking down the aisle and she put her hand on my head and she just felt my hair and she stopped short and she goes, oh my God. She's like, Jason, feel this. Our friend Jason, he's like, they're like, I'm like, what's going on? Why Why are they touching me? They're like, your hair is so soft. And it's because of the shampoo and conditioner because it didn't used to be this soft. So I really have to give them a shout out. I also love EO. I've, I've used their stuff before. It's great. And I also want to say it's good to take care of your hair on the outside. But also, um, I've been getting more into this for myself. For healthy hair and nails and skin, also you want to look into taking diatomaceous earth. It is what our hair is made of. It's silica. And it's supposed to also make your hair, it takes longer, you got to add it to your smoothies or drink it, you know, in a shake or something. But over over time, it's supposed to make your hair super soft and strong. So yeah, that's that. really great advice. Because it's what we it's really what we're doing internally, that's going to give us all of those external things that we want. And then the shampoo and conditioner obviously can help. But if we're doing everything internally, right, then we're going to get results sooner. And yeah, sprinkled in your smoothies, you know, you can take this in capsule form or in powder form. So I love that. I'm also obsessed with the Think Dirty app. It is like an app where you can scan a cosmetic. So you can be at the store, you can be at the drugstore, you can be at a healthy store, wherever you are, you can scan the product and it's going to give you a rating. So it's really nice. It'll tell you like easy to understand info. It'll tell you what the dirty ingredients are, what the good ingredients are, and you can kind of make a decision based on that. So I think that's a great resource. I love it. All right. Final announcement. And then we're going to be talking to Candice all about her brand new book. But first... Food Heals Nation, we have a question for you. When you're scribbling in your journal, when you are daydreaming about what possibilities you could have in your life, when you map out those ambitious to-do lists, I know I'm an ambitious to-do list queen, don't always cross them all out, but I make these journals, I make these to-do lists of what I want to do today, but what I want to do in the next year, what I want to create in my life. So when you're doing this, do you ever think that you want to grow a wellness business? You want to start a blog or increase views to your blog? You want to start a podcast? I mean, podcasting changed my life. I think that it is one of the best ways to get content out there. Maybe you want to create a video series. Maybe you want to sell physical products like Susie does or digital products. Maybe you want to connect with just badass entrepreneurs and grow this powerful inner circle. You want to become an influencer in your niche, get those sponsorship ads on Instagram, you know, anything like that. If you said yes, we want to help you do just that. So today's your lucky day to stop daydreaming and start doing our Rise and Bloom Mastermind and Gala. Yes. Whoever does that, whoever has masterminds and then a gala, it's amazing. It's so us. Us. This month, April 20th and 21st coming up where it's in LA. Who is it for? It's for dedicated Food Heals Nation fans only. Only. Just kidding. Anyone's invited that really wants to start their tribe, but obviously (laughs) you're listening. So you're a fan. Um, But we really want to um, curate a group of really powerful people. And it's okay if you're a beginner. It's okay if you're advanced. Wherever you're at, we're going to mastermind you, your business. And then we're also going to go through all of the skills, tactics, and tools that we've used to grow our businesses, to grow our brands. It'll be me, it'll be Susie, and it'll be Leslie Durso, who check out her Instagram. She has a huge following. She is completely does this full time. You know, she's a vegan chef. She has partnerships and sponsorships all around the board. So you're going to be learning from some really high end folks. And we're really excited to share all of that with you. So what's going to be day one? Day one, April 20th, 2018. We're going to meet in an intimate setting in West Hollywood. Together, we're going to discuss your business and goals in depth. We're going to help you come up with a plan for the next best steps. We'll connect and collab. It'll be fun and productive. I love how sexily you just read that. I mean... That was beautiful. Thank you. I can't stop myself. It's just, it just comes out. 
I know. So, okay, we're going to teach you, Food Heals Nation, how to build your wellness business. This is going to be through video, audio, photos, blog content. We're going to talk beginning and advanced marketing and monetization strategies, how to build partnerships, crazy successful collaborations, so much more. We're going to reveal all that's worked for us so that you can benefit too. Um, you know, what and, else? But wait, there's more. But wait, we're there's gonna more. We're going to dive into the dirty details of monetization streams like creating physical products like I do with my CBD fountain, digital products, membership sites, online courses, sponsorship revenues, and affiliates. Tell me about day two. Day two is actually my favorite, April 21st. It's mine too. It's the gala. <laughs> it's the gala. We're going to continue our business talks as we get glammed up for the event of the year. I've never been. Allie has been. She has told me it's the best event in Hollywood. The Humane Society's To the Rescue Gala at Paramount Pictures Studio Lot in Hollywood. Yeah, it's going to be so fun. That back lot is gorgeous, and it's such a cool place. You're you're going to be taking selfies the whole time, people. And we're going to be all glammed up, so we'll take lots of pictures. But this is really important, and here's why. Because it's not just what you know. So day one is all about what do you know? What are you going to implement? Day two is about who you know. Who are you going to network with? Who are you going to give those business cards with? Who are you going to build relationships with? And this gala is the perfect place to do it. So it is literally the biggest plant-powered red carpet networking event of the year. You're going to make connections that can help skyrocket your business. I know I have. In the past, I've literally gotten to conversate with influencers and celebrities. I mean, Moby, John Sally, Cory Booker. Kesha. I talked to Kesha about the Me Too movement and women standing up for themselves before the Me Too movement was even a thing. You know, she's on the forefront of this and she sang the most beautiful song. If you can Google it, it was one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life. I got my picture taken with Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. No biggie. Hashtag no big deal. Um, Kevin (laughs) Nealon from SNL. He's usually there. I mean, it's like a star studded event. All the guests. It doesn't even mean you're going to talk to celebrities the whole time. You're going to talk to people who are involved in this movement in a certain way. And maybe you're going to interview them for your show or for your podcast like Susie and I do. But you're going to make connections that will change everything. And so These are the people you want to be trading your business cards with. It's everyone's accessible and easy to talk to. It's just one of the best events. It's the best event I've ever been to. I cannot wait. I've never been. You have sold me on it, so I'm super excited. Yes. So join us, Two Day Mastermind in LA, April 20th to 21st. You can go to www.foodhealsnation.com slash mastermind. Act fast. It's limited to eight spots or about half full. Um, It's going to be very intimate so we can get the most out of it. If you have questions email me at info at foodhealsnation.com. Next up, our interview with Candace. The Food Heals Podcast starts now. Born and raised in Carlsbad, California, to a Japanese mother and a Polish-American father, Candace grew up in a mixed culture home. She was celebrating Japanese traditions and cuisine from a young age and also honing a cosmopolitan perspective that really continues to inspire her work today. That's what her book is all about. That's why she's here. That's right. She has a new book coming out April 17th. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of it. It's called Kintsugi Wellness. Good job on that pronunciation. She instructed me on how to say that. The T is silent. Kintsugi (laughs) Wellness, which is based on her untold story of her heritage. It also contains 12 unique Japanese principles that shape your life and 40 plus Japanese Californian recipes. Welcome, Candice. Hi, girls. How are you? Thanks for being on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm actually back in Brooklyn right now from by way of California. So sort of like in between all the travels, like right before the heady hitting book day. But this has been so lovely to be able to do interviews with all of you guys. It just feels like a it's like a new way of meeting people and also like cathartically therapeutic at the same time. You'll get our bill after. So So Candace, Elle magazine has described you as the golden girl of the wellness world, which I love. So what led you down this path? How did you get started? Tell everyone who you are and what you do. So I think most people probably remember my start from the first season of Top Chef. I was actually in culinary school I was 22 years old. I did not know where I wanted to go in the culinary world. And I think a lot of people found that quite endearing on the show. And I obviously, when you're on the first season of those shows, you do not know what you're doing or where you're going. So we had a great time, at least I did. And then 
from there, um, I started working in the food industry as a line cook um, at the Ritz-Carlton in Laguna and Roy's in downtown LA. And I sort of learned a little more about the technical side of food, which I definitely needed to learn. And from there, I was a host at HSN, TLC, E! News. I worked on shows like Unique Eats on the Cooking Channel, Judge on Iron Chef America. I have written five books since. Kintsugi Wellness is actually number six. Amazing. Thanks. I'm so excited. And then I've been on the masthead at magazines like Shape and Men's Fitness. And I've been a columnist and a food editor at large for them, along with a columnist for men's health and women's health.com. And I, you know, run my own business from LA to New York independently as an S corporation and produce and direct all of my own content and write it as well. So sometimes it's hard when you're a public figure and you're also a creative artist that produces and develops most of their own work. Like I will say there are big brands that come to me and they'll have me follow content that they'd like for me to lead on their behalf. But being in the food industry, I have learned that I need to dance with my clients rather than fight them to the nail on what I think is the way to produce artistry for the public. Because, you know, half the time, like, I'm not right. So this has been a really humbling experience. It's been a great run. It's been over 10 years since Top Chef. And I feel like I might be a living example of how to live and be well while running your own small business in the city um, and taking pride and integrity in what we do. The left turn or path less taken right now that I've decided to go on is to find more heritage and traditions and ancestry that links to wellness in which Americans can adapt to here in the U.S. So my job is like merely to be a messenger between the U.S. and Japan right now and communicate to all of you in the audience and the reader, like how did my mom, my beautiful Japanese mother, raise me in an American world using Japanese traditions? And that's what Kintsugi Wellness really comes down to. I love that because there's so much to, you know, Asian cultures are so old. There's so much tradition, so much history, so much knowledge that in the West, we're not, we're just, just starting to tap into that is so beneficial. And so it's a real service that you're doing this, that you're, you're, you're able to bridge the gap. That's so nice of you. When we, um, so I'm a member of the U.S. Japan Council, a proud member. One of the last meetings that we had together, I remembered that we talked about bridges and how a lot of us Japanese Americans are actually merely a bridge between two cultures. That, in a way, like I also would like to think as a child of war, that we can kintsugi the entire world globally by learning to share each other's stories, traditions, practices. And by being a little bit more like empathetic and compassionate towards one another, because that is what we really need more of. It's true. Absolutely. And if we don't do that, we're going to destroy each other because there's just too many people now. Oh, we are doomed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That I'm positive of. If you look, we've already seen a sequence of events that we never thought was possible. And I'm sure we all know what I'm talking about. Like we didn't Which think ones? <laughs> that person was going to get elected. Like that's the main. Yeah. And yeah. when that happened, it was like, well, in my opinion, I think it happened as a wake up call to everyone that we actually do need to implement more change, more open mindedness and more compassion. And we have to come together on the other side while he tries to divide. Yeah. Mindlessly like, I don't even know where this man's coming from, but I know... Queens. Is he? <laughs> he's from Queens, unfortunately, where my parents are from. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's from freaking Queens. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, P.S. He's married to many different immigrant women, which is quite ironic and very weird. And, and this sense of entitlement that so many young people have, I hope that they foresee what it looks like when you act that way. In public, it's it's not okay. You know, I was raised by immigrant parents who always did the right thing, who said it didn't matter where you came from, you treat everyone the exact same, and that you just lead your life with compassion and love. But they certainly didn't tell me that. They showed me that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's the difference between being raised by Japanese-influenced parents, because my father is 
Polish American. He came here on a boat when he was 12, um, but he was in the U.S. Navy. And then that's how he had a profound love and adoration for Japan. And my mother, who was born and raised in southern Japan, and helped me side by side to edit, write and develop this book for the last three years. So Candace, why wellness? Do you have a healing story? Was it the way that you grew up that inspires you? How did you get into food? That's a really good question. I think the fascination of cooking was always there. Um, I went to Long Beach State. My boyfriend went to UCSB. Um, my college boyfriend, I should preface, or he's like married with kids now, but he was such a great boyfriend. Um, we would get together. I would bring all my girls up from Long Beach State to UCSB and I would cook for everybody. And of course, like everybody would get high or be drinking and there was a time where I even made a homemade pizza from scratch with like the dough and everything. And some, one of his roommates ate all of it because he was super stoned. And I was like, oh my God, I cried. I remember. So this <laughs> is like young Candace days of realizing what a love I had for bringing people together and bringing food into play. So then after college, like everybody was like, you have to go to culinary school. And this is when food was not cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I enrolled, myself. I went to the CIA to look at the coursework. And as we know, it's far off of the train. And the only way I could supplement going to culinary school was to fit model and model for paying for school. So I simultaneously paid my way through culinary school. I looked at the Cordon Bleu California School of Culinary Arts over in Pasadena which is where I ended up going from 22 to 23. And then that's when Top Chef called. And that was the beginning of pursuing a serious culinary career, but not knowing where I was going to take it. So for anybody who's listening who doesn't know the path that they're going to take, the point is, is to just get started. Start working in a restaurant, go to the bakery, learn how to make your favorite ramen, like do something that will implement the spark of change. And so let's dig into the book and what are some of these Japanese wellness, beauty tips, all that good stuff that we may not know about? Mm, So I think that you guys will love these chapters in the book, which are kyotsukete, which means take great care. There's also gambate, which means always do your best. Shikatakanai, which means it cannot be helped. Um, One of the most popular chapters right now is Wabi Sabi, which is about celebrating imperfection. There are like over 40 amazing Japanese Cali recipes, which is how I grew up. So my mother is like the baseline for every recipe. She taught me how to make yakisoba. And then I just sort of changed it to like next level Candice yakisoba. (laughs) (laughs) Or she like taught me what soba noodles are and we studied it in Japan. We've gone to many like buckwheat houses and drank soba cha. And what I did was I sort of took like a tahini dressing with sriracha and apple cider vinegar and tahini paste. And if I didn't mention tahini like 20 times. So there's actually a Japanese ingredient called neti goma. And it is a very similar sesame paste to tahini. What I did was I looked at recipes and I looked at ingredients where I was like, what's more familiar to the American culture that will be almost just the same, if not better for us to cook with. So that was sort of the trade out. And uh, Mm -hmm. you'll learn about kombu, nori, the difference between the two, all things hojicha, sencha, matcha. You'll learn exactly what you guys said before. Like matcha is not new. It is an ancient green tea powder that the samurai monks drank thousands of years ago. Um, It's used predominantly in matcha tea ceremonies. And my great aunt and grandmother have been studying it for many years. And it was part of their heritage and hobby to learn from a Japanese tea master. So I'm like third generation, like learning about matcha and sharing that. So there's a lot of cool stuff, whether you're a Japanophile or just somebody looking to like improve their life. I'd like to think from the reaction we've had from press and media and journalists and all sorts of readers, it's a book for everyone. And one important note that I think you two would love to know, Ali mm-hmm. and Susie, is that 
The book got picked up in Brazil, Portugal, Turkey, Saudi Arabia. It's being looked at by Taiwan, Poland, Germany, Spain. Like the international rights got bought, like snatched up. Wow. You guys, that has never happened before with any of my other five books. It's a really bizarre phenomenon on the other side of the globe, which I hope Americans will catch on to and be a little bit more open-minded about. Well, I think like for me, one of the one of the draws to it is that it comes from the way that you were raised and it's your own personal story. And when it has that personal touch, it just means so much more, you know, as a reader for me. I wanted to just add something for, for me. I, I can't wait to get the book. It just happens to be a point in my life. I've always loved Japanese food, but I am now in Bend, Oregon and sometimes L.A., and there's not as many Asian restaurants up here in LA. God, you can go so many places and get Thai, Japanese, Korean, Chinese. And here I'm like craving certain things that I can't go out and get. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to learn how to make them. And so I can't wait to get your book and see what I can create because I'm just particularly missing Asian cuisine, especially healthy Asian cuisine, which Japanese to me falls under for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a cuisine which um, most people are intimidated by because it seems a little tough. But for instance, like the turmeric fried rice that my mom taught me to make is simply like leftover fried rice with a little bit of sesame seed oil, which is roasted. And we call that gomabuda in Japanese. And the flavors are quite simple. You add leftover rice and your veggies and a fried egg if you want. Um, You stir it up with a little bit of shoyu, which is soy sauce. And you can add anything from like chopped kale to onions. You can add some garlic, ginger. And in the end, I always throw turmeric on it. Or now my mom does like curry powder. And the Japanese have like this great recipe, karedaisu. They love curry and uh, their curry is very different. So what I've been doing is implementing like curry powder into my salad dressings and a lot of my dishes will contain drops of like turmeric or curry. And I noticed that my mom and dad started to catch on. And because there's so much health and wellness content on the benefits of turmeric, my dad puts it on his oatmeal now and my mom puts all the dressing. (laughs) I know. Trust me when I say they're not like super trendy. They don't like, they don't even listen to my sister's podcast. I've been trying to teach them that they can listen to it on SoundCloud whenever. <laughs> they were shocked. They were like, my mom's like, don't I have to listen on the iPhone? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, they're so cute. I think the other really cool part about this book was that like everybody saw me writing on Instagram from start to finish my grandmother passed away during the duration of the book. So did one of the World War II survivors that I interviewed in Okinawa. I interviewed my grandmother's best friend who was 96 years old and lived next door to her for over like 65 years. We talked about friendship. We talked about Kaizen, which is continuous improvement. I've interviewed people that were working at the same job their family passed down to them drying Horogaki, which is like dried persimmons, or hoshigaki and korogaki. It's a regional dried persimmon close to the Noto Peninsula. And I traveled to so many different spots. There's also a travel section in the book because we could not deny the fact that the American was fascinated with Japanese travel. And I recommend it to everyone to go and do. That is true. I just read a statistic about how Japanese travel is up like at 30 or 40%. Yes, 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 yes. And don't forget the Asian countries surrounding Japan now have lots of money. And so they've been going there as well. So when you go there, you're going to see double down European, American and Asian tourists. So it is important as a Japanese person to understand that not everybody that's Asian there is Japanese. The country does not allow many foreigners Very few people have citizenship there or a visa to work from another country. It's a really homogeneous country. However, now that the Asian population surrounding Japan, like China, has money, so they want to go to Japan first. 
you'll definitely notice the different mannerisms between the polite and quietness of the Japanese and some of the other Asian cultures. I'm just being real as a journalist. I'm telling you exactly what to look for. And I've also been traveling to Japan since I was five. So I've also seen this sort of turnover of what Japan used to be like, quiet, quaint, peaceful, Everyone would ask my dad for his autograph. He looks like, I don't know, Jeff Bridges or Harrison Ford. (laughs) People could probably give a fuck because they're like, oh, we have the Gaijin all over. Gaijin is a foreigner. But I I think it's cool because more people have accessibility, right? But it also is sad because my mother writes a note to everybody in the back of the book about how we welcome all of you to Japan. And... It may not be what it once was and foreign trade and freedom of speech and international like world changes have are happening so rapidly that she actually wants you to go sooner than later because eventually we may not have the traditions that we're still celebrating there. That's just um it's sad, but it's just kind of a symptom of globalism, right? I mean, that's happening all over the place. Like, yeah. it's just our, our cultures are, and our technology, are, especially social media, are transforming us and our, our connections where it used to take a boat ride to cross an ocean to get to a foreign land and that versus now it takes a day on a plane or, or even not at all where you can just be on Skype or you can be on Instagram Live or Facebook Live or so... That's happening all over. And McDonald's is in every country now. And when I go to a foreign country and I see a McDonald's and a Starbucks, I want to throw up because I want to learn about the country. I want to see their mom and pop shops. I want to see even their their version of, of, a, of a chain restaurant because that's much more interesting to me. And it's it's sad when I see these American fast food places everywhere. Yeah. It's quite sad. You'll see them in Japan too. And people there love McDonald's and you just got to let them love it. Cause when we were all six years old, it was all about the happy meal. Yeah. That is true. That is true. They, they know how to market. Let's just face it. People, they know how to market. Well, not just that, but right. They think it is so cool. And we think their shit is so cool. So it's like, that's true. Can't do anything about it because we feel the same way about their food that they're not eating anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the best city to start your travels in? Well, you typically do want to land in Tokyo because it's easy access. There's Haneda and there's Narita. So you've got two different airports that you can run through. And then from there, you can take a like a bus to your destination for your first night. Stay in Tokyo a few days. Have fun. You can climb Mount Fuji. It's not very far, but you will have to prepare for it. You should definitely do food and technology in Tokyo. I've been going there for so long now that it I, I kind of like avoid Tokyo now, but I still like love, love, love going to that airport. And it might be because I'll just go to the lounge and get wasted. Um, <laughs> I've also like stopped from doing that too, because there was one time I landed in New York and I was like, I will never say yes to every beverage they bring me again. It's um, <laughs> it, there's nothing else to do. What? It's so fun. Yeah. I get it. Right. It was. And I watched like Devil's Devil the Devil Wears Prada like and thought it was the best movie ever, even though I had seen it ten times before. I mean, it it's just amazing. The culture, the people, but the map will show you everything from like Matsuyama to Shikoku Island, Sado Island, Okinawa. Kyushu, which is the southern part of Japan where my mom's from, Beppu. I mean, you've got to do a lot of exploring in order to really feel the truth of Japan. I mean, it is a beautiful country. Is there a vegan movement happening in Japan? Um, Here's what there's happening is Shojin Ryori, in which translates to devotional, harmonious cuisine, in Japan is a cuisine that the monks have been eating for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. I write in the new book about how veganism is not new. Many cultures have been eating that way for thousands of years. Right. 
So I believe the 13th century might be when the monks started eating shojin-yori, and it is delicious. And when I stayed in the Khoyasan Mountains and in Shikoku Island with the monks, which you should definitely stay at the temples, which you have to plan ahead of time. But it is so worth trying their food. It is so yum. I think the other sort of thing to note is when you get ramen or yakisoba or yakitori or any of that it typically is like meat centric Mm -hmm. but the japanese diet before westernization was predominantly fermented pickles rice and fish and it was very salty minimal and there was really no beef not a lot of pork so westernization brought over good old kare rice, spaghetti. They love spaghetti napolitan. Like they talk about it all the time. They love pasta. They love toast. They love sandwiches. And they toast? fucking love pastries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very Actually, I totally understand what you're talking about. I haven't been in Japan. I am definitely going in my life, but I have been to Indonesia and toast there was such a big thing. They had toast at breakfast. I was like, wow, they really love toast. So I get what you mean. One of the main things to note is like, we all learn from each other. We take things from different cultures. And as much as I love the fact that we've shared westernization with them, I also cringe over it because I think, like mom said, like it's it's the changing of the times that are going to affect the way that we perceive a culture, but to be immersed in it is like no other experience. So it did take what 10 trips like to go there and write this book over the last few years. I think it's like the last eight years I took this writing really seriously, not knowing that my wake up call was sort of like really bad breakups and like dating the same kind of horrendous men over and over. And by horrendous, I just mean like selfish and very, how do you say, like not good for me. Like I always seem to pick the wrong kind of guy. (laughs) Um, And and in the back of my mind is all women here. We all know this. Like we tend to like do that, I think as a defense mechanism because we're not really ready well, so or we're we're having to work something out or learn yeah, something about ourselves. I would argue that we're working something out, and that person is a reflection of unresolved childhood issues. And once they're resolved, then it creates space for the perfect partner. You think? Oh my god, I must be really fucked up then, because <laughs> <laughs> like no, three of them are whack jobs. <laughs> Were you trying to save them? See, this is where our therapy comes in. Were you trying to save them, Candace? <laughs> well, one of them, I really, it was like a physical, like, draw that I just... Adored. Got it. Say no more. <laughs> and then, What's the word for that in, Jap- in Jap- Japanese? Well, you can say, like, they say sexy, like, oh, sexy, sexy. <laughs> yeah. And another one, um, I just can't explain the magnetism of like attraction that we had on so many levels, but we always knew it would never be anything substantial, which is the draw that made it really fun. I think one of the most fun facts that all of my podcast friends have learned about me is I love doing good things, but I love doing bad things. <laughs> oh, true. Like, yeah, I mean, it's this amazing contrast of like being the golden girl of wellness. Like, I wouldn't even know where to begin on the writing and the distinct contrast between the two, like being a party girl versus being a wellness girl. It's, it's a, there's a deep contrast between the two. One really can't exist without the other. So in order to be a better writer, I live the life that I speak to. The third guy was, you know, a nice person and we worked together and had a great time. And I think I learned the most probably from that one because I really, truly loved him with all of my heart Mm. and he really did not treat me the same way. And I learned of my capacity to love someone so much that I'd be willing to hurt myself for a long period of time and not really listen to everyone else. So not only am I a stubborn tourist, but I also really know how to love one deeply as an empath and a compassionate person so much that it would destroy my life. So I have to learn to rein that in and say, 
know a relationship is give and take and it is healthy Mm -hmm. and that is not healthy. So the way that my father treats my mother is a prime golden example of what I would love to find. Mm -hmm. And it's a healthy trade-off of like, he is respectfully still Christian. She is still respectfully Buddhist and they would die without the other in place. So like, yeah, it's cool, right? It's like, it shows why my sister and I might not realize that philosophical traditions and tomes from different religions and backgrounds of Polish and Japanese ancestry are what shape who we are without even them explaining it, but yet rather just living it and us watching. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, kids, we don't do what they say. We do what they do. Our parents. Yep. (laughs) There's a quote on that in Japanese and the new book. And it is so true. They will become you by watching what you do. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally and sometimes completely unintentionally. Right. Absolutely. But the bottom line in that, that we learn is, is like, Hey, it's better to be a good person all the time. I may not be an angel, but I know I walked away from all three of those relationships with the best intent for the other person in trying my best, which is the Japanese tome of Ganbate, which Mm -hmm. is a chapter in the new book. And I also said, if this was supposed to work out, it would have worked out. And sometimes life is about how gracefully you leave things that are not meant for you. Amen to that. Beautiful. Mm. So true. It's like, it's like conscious uncoupling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's the, it's the latest trend. It's a trend. Oh, Don't call it divorce. It's a trendy word, but it is, it is in theory a beautiful way, just like Candace just stated, to release the other person with the best of intentions for them and, and the highest good of your own life. Yeah. It is true. It is very true. It's like that campground theory. You leave it better than than the way you found it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that goes for everything in life, right? Like I really tried my hardest to make sure that these men knew that I would always be there for them. And I still might be, at least for one of them in particular, but I hope that sometimes like I wish for others that they will treat people the way they want to be treated and talk about conscious uncoupling like maybe I always think that there's part of them that's so selfish and not conscious that they're not even realizing how they're hurting other people right it was just lastly that their perception might be that the way that they're treating others is normal to them I was gonna say back to what you said earlier like the world needs more love right I think we're always searching, people are always searching for completeness in something else or looking to be told, because the more people we talk to on this show or just in my life where I realize, oh my God, I, I always have this deep fear that I'm not good enough, but I think everybody has that on some level. Most people do. That's a big one. Right. That's a big one. But that we're always looking for other people to validate us on a deep, deep level, that can't ever happen, right? You have to validate yourself. You have to know you're good enough to even receive the love. But I think in general, just this whole world is in need of more love all around, whether it be from strangers, neighbors, lovers, friends, siblings, family, whatever. We need more love. If you love yourself, it is a pretty easy thing to give away. You know, if you love yourself wholeheartedly, completely and honestly and openly, But if you're in a bad place, it's not good to give too much away. So in writing this book, it did take a couple years. I dated different people throughout the whole process. And I think I just found now that like I had a good conversation with Lewis Howes not long ago about how like I am complete on my own and I don't need another person to complete me. And I'm having a great time like playing the field and doing what I need to do right now to just enjoy life. And if the right guy comes along, I just always had this feeling that he will and that I won't really have to worry about a thing, you know, like they're not going to go anywhere. No, I totally agree. Susie and I talk about this all of the time about like how Susie, you always say like Disney lied, you know, and it's like Disney Disney lied lied and like the whole you complete me (laughs) thing. It's all movie garbage and it's not true to the way that our lives should be. And it's like once we cultivate that self-love, everything can happen. We can attract that partner and everything else that we're working on in whether it's career. I mean, I always talk about career because I'm so 
entrepreneurial driven, but whatever it is you want to create in the world, it all starts with self-love. That's the bottom line. Yeah, I will say the same. It has to because otherwise, like when you meet people that are not happy with their life, it's so obvious, like they're rude or they're crass or they do bad things. And I find some of that to be really unattractive. Like I actually kind of resent and reject people that are just straight rude. And I always want to do the right thing and be of great service to others. And I feel that we can't really service others unless we service ourselves first. Yes. I'm all about that's true. So I have, we have to go back because we talked about this before we started the show. Can you tell our audience, uh, it's perfect segue, what, the title of your book means? Yeah. So Kintsugi, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I, Wellness is the title of my new book. And it is about the art of golden repair. In Japanese culture, we believe that if you break an object or even cloth, pottery, you can put it back together with lacquer or mending it and you can dust it with golden powder and create a beautiful art form out of the object. And you can be foreseen as even more beautiful after you've put the object back together, like a piece of honest and open art versus just like a regular object. So the metaphor to life is, is that you are more beautiful with your golden cracks showing, AKA your imperfections, all the hard shit you went through, um, all of the bad stuff, all of the good it's all there in those gold cracks and it's just a metaphor to your life. Like no one's perfect. Everyone needs healing and everybody needs to seal and everyone can implement that process of healing and changing their life through living. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Like time really heals all and the objects or the cracks that lay along your heart or your mind or your body, those are almost like scars that show the beauty of who you are as a person who has lived. Uh, I think you just rendered us speechless. <laughs> that was beautiful. Love it. And um, when, when you were doing the interviews for your book, what was the, one of the most interesting or surprising things that you learned? I think that overall, I could have spent more time on editing it with my mom but we realized like we could have gone over it 10 more times. Yeah. Like Wabi Sabi, like we realized at some point we have to turn this in. (laughs) We also, yeah, we also had a deadline and like it started to get crazy towards the end. And I realized that my mom and I are both perfectionists and so is my editor. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that it was as good as it could possibly be. I mean, now it's like, I will look at it every now and then just to like do a little research on like what I put into each section. Cause it's been so long, like of a process that I forgot what I wrote in some of the sections and I'll like validate like, Hey, this is really good. And if I was going through that hard time again, this would really help me. Right. So it's the realization that like, at some point you have to stop and say, this is good enough. I'm good enough. And also that, we're all forever in a different point in our lives and you you're really exactly where you're supposed to be and i'm for all honesty i'm so tired and burnt out right now and like i've been working on this burning the midnight oil for years and i just know my time is coming and i will hope that everything will end up being so successful. I can finally move back to California and just live that life, you know, with a garden and a husband, animals and kids and, and, you know, like have said, like, I really gave it my all and and this is good enough, you know, (laughs) to much like the book. So if anyone's ever contemplating on like, if they're good enough or is this, you know, whether it's a project or it's a job or it's a marriage or relationship or you're grieving or learning or growing, like everyone is in a different place and it's okay to like let up a little bit and say, you know, I'm, this is good. I'm good. And live with the notion that everything will happen as it's supposed to in divine timing. So true. Speechless again. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god my cute little cat is next to me and i always remember like we found her my that ex-boyfriend that was so lovely from santa barbara and i were at his uncle's firehouse back in la we were making them lunch one day and there was this little tiny kitten that was trapped inside of their gate and we didn't know until we were leaving it was like in the mechanical part of the gate oh. and um cc and i have been together ever since like 16 years ago so i know it's so cute but like just like her because i was actually like looking to find a kitten at that time i feel like you just have to remember that like like people find pets all the time it's actually rather cute (laughs) or they get a good one at the pound you know and and you're like wow this person is like my straight family now Yeah. I mean, my dogs are my family. And, you know, Jackson, we got from a rescue organization called Dogs Without Borders. And he is, I've had dogs my whole life and I've never had a dog with this personality. I mean, Susie knows him. He is just pure love. He is the most unique creature. I've never, he is, he's hilarious. I, I adore Jackson. I mean, I adore my, I adore all of our pets, but Jackson has so much personality. It's almost like he's a late night talk show host trapped in the body of a dog. (laughs) Like yeah. so cute. He leaps into my arms whether I'm ready for him or not. Yeah. He is a, he is awesome. He started oh, doing the thing so where cool. he runs and leaps at me and I have to catch him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like up to you. It's like the what is that the falling um that exercise they do like trust building exercises where you fall into people. Yeah. That's what he's doing all the time. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> but they're pure but they're pure love, you know. I, I was talking to about yeah. someone the other day. I'm like, I think I love my dog too much. She's like, How how is that possible? She's like, He's he's pure yeah. love for you. He's you know, no judgment. It's like, unconditional yeah, love. We all need more love. So And um I have a question for you, Candace. Did you grow up or when you got older in your household, did you guys drink sake? Um, we did, but more so when I worked at a sushi bar like in college, typical college girl. We did drink there, and then I know the flavors of you know nigori versus the the hot stuff is so gross. But like I love the flavor of sake when it's dry and not sweet. And I'm not much of a huge drinker too. Like people probably find that to be interesting. But becoming the golden girl of wellness meant that like I wanted to feel the contrast of what it's like to be sober versus not and i of course like will still celebrate with wine or like belvedere and have like a good night with my friends because that's what it's for and i always drink very responsibly now because running your own business means you really are the ship that you sail the ship you know like without you you can't do anything like my team can't do anything if i'm hungover right right it sounds so basic, but it's really like until you're in it, like every business owner right now is nodding their head. Like they get it. But like, if you're not in it, like you won't understand how incredibly hard it is and how like being healthy is God's greatest gift to all of us. It truly is. Absolutely. And like, if you have a nine to five, it's like, all right, maybe you can show up hungover and just get through your day. But when you're an entrepreneur, when you're building something, it ruins that entire day. And it's, it's just the worst. So I, I definitely curb myself, but I, I just brought it up because I freaking love sake and I didn't know if you had any recommendations. Oh, oh, that is so cute. Like I would say more so probably wine recommendation or like Polish vodka for my dad's side of the family. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, but it's true. You know, like I love just like the clean taste of a Belvedere on the rocks with a splash of grapefruit when I go out. That's usually what I get. And then I also really love, like you add a little bit of seltzer to that too. And I'm a huge fan of like Tumi Pino or Silver Oak Cab. And when I travel, I think I like to try like the local beer and wine because that's what we all should do, you know, like support the locals when you're out and when you're home you know, support the brands that are doing the right thing with the soil, with the environment, with the community and with their advertising. And those are things that everybody should take into contemplation when purchasing anything. Have you been to Okinawa? Oh yeah. It is fabulous. (laughs) And the sweet potato is so good that I will eat like three 
right out of the farmer's market and they have like these roasted sweet potatoes at the farmer's market and they're called siduku like meaning silk and i'll eat like five of them and my sister like all my okinawa friends are like dude calm down (laughs) but they're so good so the food there is a little different than japanese fare and the culture is different so it's a great place to go and learn about a completely different culture that's separate from what we're used to seeing in Japan. Yeah, well, it's one of the blue zones, which is where people live to be centenarians to over 100 years old. And it's fascinating. And I think about 90% of their diet is plant food and surprisingly not fish. And so I I love the blue zones concept because I love what they all have in common, like community, plant-based diet, some sense of religion or spirituality. And you probably know this, but I guess they recite a phrase before every meal and it reminds them to eat 80% to stop eating when they're 80% full instead of stuffing themselves. Harahachibu means eating only until you're 80% full. So that is paying an homage to your meal. Um, And also, like, remembering that, like, you are not supposed to eat until you pop. Right. That is a very American thing, by the way. I know. It really is. And you don't feel good when you eat that way. You feel terrible. You look terrible. You know, it it affects everything. Isn't it interesting how we got there? So we're, except for the Native Americans who were here before everybody else, we're a country that was founded by immigrants that were leaving places where food and life was expensive and so that when they got enough money and, th- and things were more plentiful here, that they did <laughs> freaking indulge and eat until they popped. And that became our culture. Isn't that interesting, though? Like, they came from places like Japan where they'd be like, no, no, don't eat until you pop. Or, you know, food is, is expensive. You, have to, you only have so much. And then they got here. Things changed and became cheaper. I find that really interesting. Also, um when immigrants move here, they typically end up gaining weight from all the sugar that's in our food. Right. Yes. And they weigh more here than they did in their native countries. Yes. Well, that's a more modern problem, right? Putting high fructose corn syrup and everything and Mm. portion sizes. And I think that probably happened after World War II. Yeah. It's interesting. It was all kind of relates back to money almost always and um, shortages and Like Michael Pollan's books, I think are still the best that were done on food history. And I also really am a big fan of Dan Buettner, the um, Blue Zones guy. Yeah, Dan Buettner. He helped me with a little bit of research on learning more about the Okinawan practices. And I think his work is really remarkable and that more people should be reading his books. Yes, his books are so fascinating. I love them. Um, so definitely check those out. And um, Candace, is there anything you want to leave us with? Words of advice? I think one, just coming from the food and healing space, should just remember that like your capacity to heal and grow and love and share more compassion and empathy is based on sharing and being a better bridge and messenger. Like being a good listener and being a good communicator and taking into consideration that your way is not the only way that other people live and what they believe, and that we should really like be open-minded to new cultures. Because my parents are a really good example of like two people that saved up money to like go to Europe when my grandfather was painting all across Europe. He got a Volkswagen Beetle, and they joined him to honeymoon all over. And they said that what brought them together at a young age was their mutual and profound love for wanting to see the world. And I think now that we see like, like travels like implemented all over Instagram and social, but like to be immersed into the culture and to go outside of the touristy places, that's where the wellness practice begins and ends is within the people and their stories So to be able to go to Japan and interview survivors of war, people that are working until they're in their 80s or 90s, or even just like the local fishermen or Okinawans that survived horrible famine and struggle throughout World War II. I mean, that this to me is wellness. 
So I just want to encourage everybody to pick up the book and see a new perspective on the way that we look at wellness and to know that like, yeah, I came from all the magazines. Like I wrote for everyone and cover lines that talk about hot sex now and abs tomorrow are great, but they will do nothing to improve your life. Right. Quote. I love that. That's true. <laughs> we did Food Health Nation. <laughs> you heard it here first. You heard it from the Food Heals podcast. Um, Candice, where can everyone find you online and get a copy of your book, work with you, follow you on Instagram, all that good stuff? Oh, great. We're always looking for fabulous interns. Um, I'm in New York City right now, but I go between New York and LA. Mm -hmm. And you can go to any of my social channels, particularly Instagram is probably the most popular one that I love to use. It's Candice, C-A-N-D-I-C-E, Kumai, K-U-M is in Mary, A-I. My website is CandiceKumai.com, C-A-N-D-I-C-E, K-U-M is in Mary, A-I, like Shumai.com. Um, and Kintsugi Wellness, Kintsugi spelled K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. Kintsugi Wellness drops April 17th, and we are encouraging everyone to pick it up as a gift for a friend and also yourself because you deserve to fill your cup first before helping others. Yes, that's a good sales tactic. <laughs> Love it. Uh, well, Susie and I can't wait to get our books. We really appreciate having you on today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Candace. Susie and Allie, I appreciate it. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put in their Lululemons and take a yoga class while drinking a green juice. If you experience any of these symptoms, text your priest immediately.